Section 9 of Tales of Old Japan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Awaii in September 2011. Tales of Old Japan by Lord Reedsdale. Section 9 A Story of the Otokodate of Yedo. Part 4 note on asakusa translated from a native book called the yedo hanjoki or guide to the prosperous city of yedo and other sources asakusa is the most bustling place in all yedo it is famous for the temple senzoji on the hill of kinryu or the golden dragon which from morning till night is thronged with visitors rich and poor old and young flocking in sleeve to sleeve the origin of the temple was as follows in the days of the emperor suiko who reigned in the thirteenth century a d a certain noble named hashino nakatomo fell into disgrace and left the court and having become a ronin or masterless man he took up his abode on the golden dragon hill with two retainers being brothers named hinokuma hamanari and hinokuma takenari these three men being reduced to great straits and without means of earning their living became fishermen now it happened that on the sixth day of the third month of the thirty-sixth year of the reign of the emperor suiko anno domini twelve forty one they went down in the morning to the asakusa river to ply their trade and having cast their nets took no fish but at every throw they pulled up a figure of the buddhist god kwanon which they threw into the river again they sculled their boat away to another spot but the same luck followed them and nothing came to their nets save the figure of kwanon struck by the miracle they carried home the image and after fervent prayer built a temple on the golden dragon hill in which they enshrined it the temple thus founded was enriched by the benefactions of wealthy and pious persons whose care raised its buildings to the dignity of the first temple in yedo tradition says that the figure of kwanon which was fished up in the net was one inch and eight tenths in height the main hall of the temple is sixty feet square and is adorned with much curious workmanship of gilding and of silvering so that no place can be more excellently beautiful there are two gates in front of it the first is called the gate of the spirits of the wind and of the thunder and is adorned with figures of those two gods the wind god whose likeness is that of a devil carries the wind bag and the thunder-god, who is also shaped like a devil, carries a drum and a drumstick. Footnote. This gate was destroyed by fire a few years since. And footnote. The second gate is called the gate of the gods Neo, or the two princes, whose colossal statues, painted red and hideous to look upon, stand on either side of it. Between the gates is an approach four hundred yards in length, which is occupied by the stalls of hucksters, who sell toys and trifles for women and children, and by foul and loathsome beggars. Passing through the gate of the gods Neo, the main hall of the temple strikes the eye. 
countless niches and shrines of the gods stand outside it, and an old woman earns her livelihood at a tank filled with water, to which the votaries of the gods come and wash themselves, that they may pray with clean hands. Inside are the images of the gods, lanterns, incense burners, candlesticks, a huge money-box into which the offerings of the pious are thrown, and votive tablets, representing the famous gods and goddesses, heroes and heroines of old. Footnote. Sir Rutherford Alcock, in his book upon Japan, states that the portraits of the most famous courtesans of Yedo are yearly hung up in the temple at Asakusa. No such pictures are to be seen now, and no Japanese of whom I have made inquiries have heard of such a custom. The priests of the temple deny that their fame was ever so polluted, and it is probable that the statement is but one of the many strange mistakes into which an imperfect knowledge of the language led the earlier travellers in Japan. In spite of all that has been said by persons who have had no opportunity of associating and exchanging idea with the educated man of Japan, I maintain that in no country is the public harlot more abhorred and looked upon. End footnote. Behind the chief building is a broad space called the Okuyama, where young and pretty waitresses, well-dressed and painted, invite the weary pilgrims and holiday-makers to refresh themselves with tea and sweetmeats. Here, too, are all sorts of sights to be seen, such as wild beasts, performing monkeys, automata, conjurers, wooden and paper figures, which take the place of the waxworks of the West, acrobats and jesters for the amusement of women and children. Altogether it is a lively and a joyous scene. There is not its equal in the city. At Asakusa, as indeed all over Yedo, are to be found fortune-tellers who prey upon the folly of the superstitious. With a treatise on physiognomy laid on a desk before them, they call out to this man that he has an ill-omened forehead, and to that man that the space between his nose and his lips is unlucky. Their tongues wag like flowing water until the passers-by are attracted to their stalls. If the seer finds a customer, he closes his eyes and, lifting the divining sticks reverently to his forehead, mutters incantations between his teeth. Then, suddenly parting the sticks in two bundles, he prophesies good or evil, according to the number in each. With a magnifying glass he examines his dupe's face and the palms of his hands. By the fashion of his clothes and his general manner the prophet sees whether he is a countryman or from the city. "'I am afraid, sir,' says he, "'you have not been altogether fortunate in life, but I foresee that great luck awaits you in two or three months.' or, like a clumsy doctor who makes his diagnosis according to his patient's fancies, if he sees his customer frowning and anxious, he adds, Alas, in seven or eight months you must beware of great misfortune, but I cannot tell you all about it for a slight fee. With a long sigh he lays down the divining sticks on the desk, and the frightened boar pays a further fee to hear the sum of the misfortune which threatens him, until, with three feet of bamboo slips and three inches of tongue, the clever rascal has made the poor fool turn his purse inside out. The class of diviners called Ichiko profess to give tidings of the dead, 
or of those who have gone to distant countries. The Ichiko exactly corresponds to the spirit medium of the West. The trade is followed by women, of from fifteen or sixteen to some fifty years of age, who walk about the streets, carrying on their backs a divining box about a foot square. They have no shop or stall, but wander about, and are invited into their customers' houses. The ceremony of divination is very simple. A porcelain bowl filled with water is placed upon a tray, and the customer, having written the name of the person with whom he wishes to hold communion on a long strip of paper, rolls it into a spill, which he dips into the water, and thrice sprinkles the ichiko, or medium. She, resting her elbows upon her divining box, and leaning her head upon her hand, mutters prayers and incantations, until she has summoned the soul of the dead, or absent person, which takes possession of her, and answers questions through her mouth. The prophecies which the Ichiko utters during her trance are held in high esteem by the superstitious and vulgar. Hard by Asakusa is the theatre street. The theatres are called Shiba-i, turf places, from the fact that the first theatrical performances were held on a turf plot. The origin of the drama in Japan, as elsewhere, was religious. In the reign of the Emperor Heijo, Anno Domini 805, there was a sudden volcanic depression of the earth close by a pond called Sarusawa, or the Monkey's Marsh, at Nara in the province of Yamato, and a poisonous smoke issuing from the cavity struck down with sickness all those who came within its baneful influence. So the people brought quantities of firewood, which they burnt in order that the poisonous vapour might be dispelled. The fire, being the male influence, would assimilate with and act as an antidote upon the mephitic smoke, which was a female influence. Footnote. This refers to the Chinese doctrine of the yang and yin, the male and female influences pervading all creation. End footnote. Besides this, as a further charm to exercise the portent, the dance called Sambazo, which is still performed as a prelude to theatrical exhibitions by an actor dressed up as a venerable old man, emblematic of old life and felicity, was danced on a plot of turf in front of the temple Kofukuji. By these means the smoke was dispelled and the drama was originated. The story is to be found in the Tsukunihonki, or supplementary history of Japan. Three centuries later, during the reign of the Emperor Toba, Anno Domini 1108, there lived a woman called Izo no Zenji, who is looked upon as the mother of the Japanese drama. Her performances, however, seem only to have consisted in dancing or posturing, dressed up in the costume of the nobles of the court, from which fact her dance was called Otokomai, or the man's dance. Her name is only worth mentioning on account of the respect in which her memory is held by actors. It was not until the year Anno Domini 1624 that a man named Saruwaka Kanzaburo, at the command of the Shogun, opened the first theatre in Yedo in the Nakabashi, or Middle Bridge Street, where it remained until eight years later, when it was removed to the Ningi-yo, or Doll Street. 
the company of this theatre was formed by two families named miyako and ichimura who did not long enjoy their monopoly for in the year sixteen forty four we find a third family that of yamamura setting up a rival theatre in the kobiki or sawyer street in the year sixteen fifty one the asiatic prejudice in favour of keeping persons of one calling in one place exhibited itself by the removal of the playhouses to their present site and the street was called the saruvaka street after saruvaka kanzaburo the founder of the drama in yedo theatrical performances go on from six in the morning until six in the evening just as the day is about to dawn in the east the sound of the drum is heard and the dance sambazo is danced as a prelude and after this follow the dances of the famous actors of old these are called the extra performances waki kiyogen the dance of nakamura represents the demon shudendoji an ogre who was destroyed by the hero yorimitsu according to the following legend at the beginning of the eleventh century when ichijo the second was emperor lived the hero yorimitsu now it came to pass that in those days the people of kyoto were sorely troubled by an evil spirit which took up its abode near the rasho gate one night as yorimitsu was making merry with his retainers he said who dares go and defy the demon of the Russia gate and set up a token that he has been there that dare i answered tsuno who having donned his coat of mail mounted his horse and rode out through the dark bleak night to the Russia gate having written his name upon the gate he was about to turn homewards when his horse began to shiver with fear and a huge hand coming forth from the gate seized the back of the knight's helmet Tsuna, nothing daunted, struggled to get free, but in vain, so drawing his sword he cut off the demon's arm, and the spirit with a howl fled into the night. But Tsuna carried home the arm in triumph, and locked it up in a box. One night the demon, having taken the shape of Tsuna's aunt, came to him and said, I pray thee, show me the arm of the fiend. Tsuna answered, I have shown it to no man, and yet to thee I will show it. So he brought forth the box and opened it, when suddenly a black cloud shrouded the figure of the supposed aunt, and the demon, having regained its arm, disappeared. From that time forth the people were more than ever troubled by the demon, who carried off to the hills all the fairest virgins of Kyoto, whom he ravished and ate, so that there was scarce a beautiful damsel left in the city. Then was the emperor very sorrowful, and he commanded Yorimitsu to destroy the monster, and the hero, having made ready, went forth with four trusty knights and another great captain to search among the hidden places of the mountains. One day, as they were journeying far from the haunts of men, they fell in with an old man, who, having bidden them to enter his dwelling, treated them kindly and set before them wine to drink, and when they went away and took their leave of him, he gave them a present of more wine to take away with them. Now this old man was a mountain god. 
As they went on their way, they met a beautiful lady who was washing blood-stained clothes in the waters of the valley, weeping bitterly the while. When they asked her why she shed tears, she answered, Sirs, I am a woman from Kyoto, whom the demon has carried off. He makes me wash his clothes, and when he is weary of me, he will kill and eat me. I pray your lordships to save me. Then the six heroes bade the woman lead them to the ogre's cave, where a hundred devils were mounting guard and waiting upon him. The woman, having gone in first, told the fiend of their coming, and he, thinking to slay and eat them, called them to him. So they entered the cave, which reeked with the smell of the flesh and blood of men, and they saw Shudendoji, a huge monster with the face of a little child. The six men offered him the wine which they had received from the mountain god, and he, laughing in his heart, drank and made merry, so that little by little the fumes of the wine got into his head, and he fell asleep. The heroes, themselves feigning sleep, watched for a moment when the devils were all off their guard, to put on their armour and steal one by one into the demon's chamber. Then Yorimitsu, seeing that all was still, drew his sword and cut off Shudendoji's head, which sprung up and bit at his head. Luckily, however, Yorimitsu had put on two helmets, the one over the other, so he was not hurt. When all the devils had been slain, the heroes and the woman returned to Kyoto, carrying with them the head of Shudendoji, which was laid before the emperor and the fame of their action was spread abroad under heaven. This Shudendoji is the ogre represented in the Nakamura dance. The Ichimura dance represents the seven gods of wealth, and the Morita dance represents a large ape and is emblematical of drinking wine. As soon as the sun begins to rise in the heaven, signboards all glistening with paintings and gold are displayed, and the playgoers flock in crowds to the theatre. The farmers and country folk hurry over their breakfast, and the women and children who have got up in the middle of the night to paint and adorn themselves come from all the points of the compass to throng the gallery, which is hung with curtains as bright as the rainbow in the departing clouds. The place soon becomes so crowded that the heads of the spectators are like the scales on a dragon's back. When the play begins, if the subject be tragic, the spectators are so affected that they weep till they have to wring their sleeves dry. If the piece be comic, they laugh till their chins are out of joint. The tricks and stratagems of the drama baffle description, and the actors are as graceful as the flight of the swallow. The triumph of persecuted virtue and the punishment of wickedness invariably crown the story. When a favourite actor makes his appearance, his entry is hailed with cheers. Fun and diversion are the order of the day, and rich and poor alike forget the cares which they have left behind them at home, and yet it is not all idle amusement, for there is a moral taught, and a practical sermon preached in every play. The subjects of the pieces are chiefly historical, feigned names being substituted for those of the real heroes. 
Indeed, it is in the popular tragedies that we must seek for an account of many of the events of the last two hundred and fifty years, for only one very bald history of those times has been published, of which but a limited number of copies were struck off from copper plates, and its circulation was strictly forbidden by the shogun's government. Footnote. I allude to the Taihe Nempio, or Annals of the Great Peace, a very rare work, only two or three copies of which have found their way into the libraries of foreigners. End footnote. The stories are rendered with great minuteness and detail, so much so that it sometimes takes a series of representations to act out one piece in its entirety. The Japanese are far in advance of the Chinese in their scenery and properties, and their pieces are sometimes capitally got up. A revolving stage enables them to shift from one scene to another with great rapidity. First-rate actors receive as much as a thousand ryos, about three hundred pounds, as their yearly salary. This, however, is a high rate of pay, and many a man has to strut before the public for little more than his daily rice. To a clever young actor it is almost enough reward to be allowed to enter a company in which there is a famous star. The salary of the actor, however, may depend upon the success of the theatre, for dramatic exhibitions are often undertaken as speculations by wealthy persons, who pay their company in proportion to their own profit. Besides his regular pay, a popular Japanese actor has a small mine of wealth in his patrons, who open their purses freely for the privilege of frequenting the green room. The women's parts are all taken by men, as they used to be with us in ancient days. Touching the popularity of plays, it is related that in the year 1833, when two actors called Bando Shuka and Segawa Roko, both famous players of women's parts, died at the same time, the people of Yedo mourned to heaven and to earth, and if a million ryos could have brought back their lives, the money would have been forthcoming. Thousands flocked to their funeral, and the richness of their coffins and of the clothes laid upon them was admired by all. When I heard this, said Terakado Seiken, the author of the Yedo Hanjoki, I lifted my eyes to heaven and heaved a great sigh. When my friend Saito Shime, a learned and good man, died, there was barely enough money to bury him, his needy pupils and friends subscribed to give him a humble coffin. Alas, alas, here was a teacher who from his youth up had honoured his parents, and whose heart knew no guile. If his friends were in need, he ministered to their wants. He grudged no pains to teach his fellow men. His good will and charity were beyond praise. Under the blue sky and bright day he never did a shameful deed. His merits were as those of the sages of old, but because he lacked the cunning of a fox or badger, he received no patronage from the wealthy, and, remaining poor to the day of his death, never had an opportunity of making his worth known. Alas! Alas! End of section 9